0: Hi, I'm Michael Wiaffe.
1: And I'm Dimitri O'ak.
0: Welcome to PolicyWise. With a deeply rooted racial inequity and prejudices in the U.S. being brought to light in mainstream media, it may not be super surprising to all of us that since 2016, there's been a spike of anti-Semitism. I want surveillance of certain mosques. Islamophobia.
2: I think Islam hates us.
0: Bullying of students. How
2: did you get over 30 appointments with senators? Hey, Jamie, where's
0: prejudices against multiple different communities in the U.S.
1: That's because every day is called it' Jamie's house, right? Right? Pocahontas? Is it offensive? Oh, oh,
3: really? oh I'm sorry about that. Uh, Pocahontas?
2: Where's the mask for?
3: It's it very good. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. Because your uncle's a boogeyman. They're bringing drugs. Boogeyman. They're bringing crime. Boogeyman. They're rapists. Stop it, okay? Stop
0: it! And additionally, it makes it even more challenging with online learning. K-12 students are facing unique challenges. Today's episode is about educational equity and creating an inclusive K-12 curriculum in California. Focusing on proposed changes to include ethnic studies in the curriculum and the education to end hate initiative. So Tony Thurmond is the 28th California State Superintendent of Public Instruction. Superintendent Thurman is an educator, social worker, public school parent, and has served the people of California for more than 10 years in elected office. Superintendent Thurman, first, thank you so much for joining us. I know that there's so much more to the story of how you got to where you are today and the way that you are with us.
3: I'm just grateful to be here. Thank you uh, for that generous introduction. And I would just say that, um, you know, in my life, education has been uh, ultimately a game changer. It has opened doors for me, overcoming Many obstacles like poverty and you know being on the free lunch program and you know being able to dream about a future and having the tools to help go get it has been incredible. And in addition to education, I've had incredible mentors at every step of uh, my journey. and uh, And so, I am so excited uh, to be a part of this conversation today with all of you at uh, YLI.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, we also have with us today Mahet Kandrew, who is a senior at Dowchery Valley High School with a strong passion for advocacy and policy reform. Alongside the work she does at California Forward, she's also a leg- California Legislative Ambassador for the American Cancer Society and the outreach editor of her school's newspaper. When she's not working on those things, she spends her time volunteering at the San Ramon Regional Medical Center or watching movies with her dad. In college, she hopes to continue working on on understanding social systems and the factors
2: that have formed them. Thank
1: you so much for coming on, Mahek.
2: Thank you so much, Demi, and thank you for the introduction. I'm really excited to be here. I've um, grown up in California, I was born here, I did all of my school here. So I'm excited to talk about like those experiences and how we can um, continue to improve curriculum and school for other students.
0: Absolutely, and and again, thank you both for joining us, Superintendent Thurman. Uh, we'd love to start the conversation with you if you would mind telling us uh, kind of where we are currently in our education system, and you know, you've your office has proposed kind of a slew of of, of different strategies to address the priority of uh, this these inequities that we see. In- in our education system uh, in terms of the lack of education on certain groups. And so one of those is the Education to End Hate initiative. And another one of those um, that, that you've uh, supported and sponsoring uh, is AB 101, which was just introduced to the legislature. Um, and what that is, is ethnic studies uh, in, for an inclusive K through 12 curriculum um, in California. And so would you mind kind of laying the groundwork for us? Where are we at now and what are those two um, different strategies?
3: Thank you, Michael. As you laid out, we have seen this spike in hate since 2016. And, uh, you know, my team and I, we've always been looking for ways to use education to counter uh, those spikes. And so, um, literally, after the killing of George Floyd, we announced a campaign to help provide training to school district staff on addressing uh, issues of implicit bias, Um, you know, uh, so that we can close disproportionality in our schools. Shortly after that, we announced a new initiative called Education to End Hate, where we um, provide grants to school districts, so we've already provided them, um, that allow school districts to provide professional development to their staff to directly tackle issues of bias um, and hate of some kind. Um, we've supplemented those grants with system-wide webinars. We do them for you know 1,000 educators at a time where we invite educators uh, to think differently about what we do in our schools. And to date, we've done webinars to uh, counter um, acts of anti-Semitism, to counter acts of Islamophobia and what's taught in our schools and the kind of harm that's taught to our students when things are taught that have misperceptions and to change what we teach about Native Americans, uh, students in our, in our state. Uh, at the end of the day, what we want to do is increase the self-esteem of our students by giving them um, the chance to learn about Um, the contributions of their ancestors. And this is where our work around ethnic studies enters. Um, We have been involved in a long-term conversation about introducing ethnic studies to students, um, and in the meantime, it's given us a chance to support AB101, a bill that would make ethnic studies a graduation requirement in California. Uh, we're excited about it. Um, the engagement level from students has been very high. We're excited to be able to give students a chance to learn about the contributions of people of color, and uh, quite frankly, we think it's a great way to push back on many of the acts of hate that we've seen in recent times.
0: Absolutely, and to to kind of uh, further drill in that point, Mahek, would you like to kind of tell us what? you know what your experience first what your experience kind of is in high school and maybe what what changes this might might make to your classroom
2: yes so um i'm the senior so i'm completing my final year i've spent pretty much in all four years of high school being very interested in the humanities and history and english and those courses and so i've been able to select classes that have um, catered to those interests and so i've seen the standard pieces of literature that we're exposed to uh, regardless of what your interests are what classes you choose to take and then I've had the privilege of taking the more like AP Lit for example um, and reading some more specific literature some more advanced literature Um, and so for me when I think of this um, this topic and this idea that the curriculum should be more inclusive I think very specifically of um, the last English class I took in my junior year um, AP English literature and how I read um, um, I was my first exposure to Toni Morrison. I don't know if you've read her work, but she's phenomenal. Um, and I read Beloved for the first time. And my English teacher, she walked us through it. And when I finished the book, I I realized that it was the first time I'd ever been exposed to an author that understood and could really teach me about intergenerational trauma. Um, and I Um, My parents are both immigrants from India, um, which was previously under colonial rule. Um, And so it was that book that really helped me understand like my own history. Um, And I was able to draw a lot of connections between that. And that was a really powerful experience for me. Um, I I read Zora Zora Neale Hurston, Um, Their Eyes Were Watching God, and I Remember, it was the first time when we were reading bios about her, it was the first time someone ever told me again, like it was my teacher who told me this, but it was, um, again, the author's words. She was talking about how our skin color isn't like the struggles we face from our skin color isn't the only thing we have to tell. There's so much more to our story and we can experience and talk about these normal things. Like we don't have to let our existence be political, even though it is all the time. We don't have to like carry that burden and we can write about these normal experiences. And so Zora Neale Hurston writes like these normal stories um, about women of color and their experiences. And that was for me being told those things definitely helped me during this time where politics was everywhere and my own identity was like very hard to come to terms for me to come to terms with. And so I think like, that's one of the fundamental reasons why I want to advocate for a more inclusive curriculum.
3: The heck, if I could, I just want to commend you. I love the journey you've created for yourself, you know, and and what you shared about reading Toni Morrison, Zora Neale Hurston. I think that what you're showing is that at the end of the day, we all benefit from reading different authors and learning about different traditions in history. And um, and so I just wanna commend you on that. And I think that creating ethnic studies as a requirement in California will make it so that every student gets access to that. And so one of the things that we're working on in the California Department of Education is what we call a model ethnic studies curriculum guide. It, it's essentially just giving an example to school districts about different authors like you talked about that the schools might you know use, uh, different texts that students might need. And I want to tell you I was just having a conversation uh, with someone who was saying that in high school the first time she read something, From Frederick Douglass, she just came alive and she didn't know that that type of text existed. She talked about wanting to be able to read more as a student about people like Frida Kahlo and, you know, Dolores Huerta. And so there are just so many great things that um, our students should have access to, you know, and I just think that when it comes to ethnic studies, we see a double benefit that the students who um, uh, haven't had the opportunity can see people who, 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 you know, resemble them and their experience. Um, and they can feel a sense of esteem of their contributions to this great state and nation, but, but we all benefit from each other's stories. I think you pointed out really, uh, very uh, nicely. And, uh, we, we, um, are excited to see our curriculum grow in the ways that you've created for yourself as a student. Kudos to you. Great job. And, uh, You know, maybe you'll help us uh, in our efforts as we try to guide uh, more ethnic studies uh, in the state.
0: You know, I I got to hop in here and, and just share a little bit uh, of something that happened um, when I was much younger. I think I shared it on probably one of the previous episodes. But I'll, when I was in third grade, and and this is a, a time I remember, um, I think, very distinctly as one of those, um, I think, a pivot moments in in my life. Of course, I pivoted back I, and it was a time where I started de, uh, de-investing myself from school. Um, as, as an eight-year-old. And it was just because of the environment. You know, my my third grade teacher just did not seem to like me, put me in detention all the time just for asking questions that I asked too many. Um, but another thing was that, you know, I told my classmates uh, somewhere around that time that I was from Africa. Um, and I just said it, you know, kind of matter of factly as a kid does, like, oh, I just learned I'm from Africa. You know, my, something that we talked back at home and it was something that was exciting for me. Um, but one of the responses that I got was, oh, do you hunt lions and uh, sleep, in, sleep in huts, and I was so confused. Like, I remember looking back at them and being like, I have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> because that's just not the Africa that my parents portrayed for me. And, and so to me, I, I feel like, you know, having an, a curriculum where where students can actually learn about other cultures that are kind of outside of our own, it not only serves as a benefit to our education, but even uh, might serve as a comfort to some of those students that come from those backgrounds and they can learn so much more about their past. And this isn't only, you know, for immigrants, but, but other folks as well. Um, It doesn't have to be for race. It's just a more inclusive way of thinking about our our education.
2: Um, And to add on to that, I I think that it's also about creating a more complete understanding of history, too, um, because there's this concept of other in education when we're talking about different cultures. But um, with it being Black History Month, for example, people should know that Black history is American history. It's not this other topic. It's a fundamental part of understanding American history. And as more groups become more prominent in the United States, as Asian Americans become a more prominent group, their story is also part of history. It's American history. It's not this just this other, you know, topic. And so I'm hoping like with this curriculum, with the more inclusive curriculum, people will start to realize that so that we can have a more holistic understanding of, of history.
3: I just want to thank you, uh, Michael and the Heck, for those perspectives, you know, Michael, I'm sorry that as a student, you experience uh, anything that would make you turn away from education. I think anytime students turn away from education, it means that we're not doing something that we should be doing. Uh, Learning should always be engaging, right? Look, I'll be honest. I didn't like homework or writing papers, but I always loved learning. And, And so it is our job to create an environment where students want to learn. And educators can't be afraid of different ideas and using different texts and different philosophies. And it's sad that right now what we're seeing is that people are afraid to talk accurately about history. And I'll give the example of um, the commission report that uh, was put out that said that schools should not talk about the impacts of slavery uh, on this country. And, oh, my goodness. And, And they said that it was unpatriotic. Now, I gotta tell you, I feel very proud to be an American, but I don't think being patriotic means that you cannot talk about every aspect of history, even things that aren't our best representation of ourselves in this country. And the fact of the matter is slavery did happen. Um, Our founding fathers had slaves and it, it really impacted so many things that we're still seeing today in this country. And so I believe that we can tell those stories Um, And it does not mean that we're not proud of our country. It just means that we have to have bold conversations, even when they're difficult and create the space to talk about things that are difficult, you know, and your example about teachers teaching things that provide misperceptions of students from Africa. We've seen that, you know, one of the reasons that we um, included our seminar on countering Islamophobia is because we've been hearing from many students and teachers that there are misperceptions taught about Islam in our schools. And that many times it fostered bullying and mistreatment of students who practice Islam. And so we wanted that to be part of the conversation. We we placed a lot of emphasis on helping teachers to understand that what we teach about the experience of Native Americans in California is important and it must be accurate. Otherwise it's promoting stereotypes that can be very harmful. And so you both point to how we have to be accurate in what we teach, but that we have to be courageous and be willing to be open and have conversation, right? Don't we wanna promote critical thinking amongst our students? That means we should not be afraid to broach subjects that might be a little bit uncomfortable. Just create the space so that everyone can talk about it and be heard. Um, And and, and the suggestions that you are making, I think, are great ones that can help guide our work as we create the ethnic studies model curriculum.
1: Thank you. Thank you both so much. I have to say, like, you know, going through the education system myself in in California and kind of just like emerging from it and then coming into like a more international context and also just getting more involved into like different subjects that I felt like I hadn't been exposed to before. I had always kind of felt that there was so much that like I I was like, well, how come I haven't been taught this, Uh, especially like leaving the U.S. and then coming to a place where everyone else is like, oh, my gosh, Can you believe your history? Um, And and I felt like I was like relearning everything over and over again. You can you know you learn things through a certain lens. um, But I I think you know I'm really excited for some curriculum changes that really get to the root of some of the biggest issues um, and biggest like problems and that are really problems with uh, American history. And and I would love if the curriculum addresses. And I think tackling it through education is like the number one thing to do as like the central dissemination point, like formal education point for all Californians, all Americans. Um, and yeah, it's just really exciting to, to see this work being done. So thank you. Um, with that said, um, Superintendent Thurman, you did talk about like some of the opposition that comes back, some of the fear that has arisen uh, with the suggestions to to do this kind of curriculum. Would you mind talking a little bit about what the opposition is saying to these proposals um, and what you say, what you have said, and as a result, and to combat these uh, these fears?
3: Yeah, Demi, thanks for that. You know, we've heard so much. I mean, we've heard people say that we shouldn't talk about the experiences of slavery. We have heard people equate ethnic studies to just being divisive. And what we try to get across to people that this is not at all about being divisive, that you know we have much in common in this country, but there's nothing uh, negative about acknowledging some of the differences, uh, the cultures and experiences that we have. The cultures that make this a great state it is our diversity that is part of our strength. And we have to celebrate that. And so, you know, literally, there are many of us on the team who have received threats. Who said, "If you teach ethnic studies, you know, people have made threats to us, to our physical well-being." They have acted as if um, we intend to divide the nation. Um, they have uh, equated this to somehow being un-American. Um, when, when you know, I, I think about to be American means so many different things to different people. And for me, you know, half of my family are immigrants who, you know, who come, who came here from places like Panama and Colombia and Jamaica, you know? And, and, and so to me, the American experience is one that embraces the experience of immigrants who helped to build this nation, literally build this nation. And it is, you know, the other half of my family, our descendants of slaves and you know slaves helped to build this nation and so we push back um, but we also believe that education can be a connector that at the end of the day in spite of our differences we have more that brings us together and more that we have in common and that we believe that if we educate young minds uh, we can prevent them from falling into this trend that we see of young people who are really the perpetuators of of these hate groups when you look at some of the neo-Nazi groups and the white supremacist groups. There are many, many young people who are in these groups. I believe that they have experienced miseducation. They've been, you know, just uh, influenced by by those who would promote hate. I don't believe anybody is born with hate in their heart. And, and so as a result, I, we believe that we can use education to counter hate. And, and that is the message that we continue to stay with, even when there are threats, even when those who accuse us of dividing, we say that we're looking to create a path that brings us together. And part of that is celebrating diversity and learning from each other's traditions. But at the end of the day, we are trying to promote a kind of mutual understanding uh, that brings us all together.
2: Um, And building off of what you're saying, superintendent, I think that there's um, a misunderstanding. I don't think it's divisive. I think it's actually healing the divide that exists between what we know about history and how diverse it actually is and how much more actually happened and how impactful it actually is. So I think that just, um, that's a misunderstanding that people have when it comes to talking about history in a more real sense.
3: Well, I, I just was, um, I, I appreciate you, Mahek. I, I just think that, um, you're so right that we all benefit from this work and, um, you know, we are facing the toughest circumstances that I think most of us will experience in our lifetime, in the pandemic, you know, we literally are trying to find a way to be safe. You know, at the same time, I believe that we've experienced the pandemic of racism and hate, and people have really taken a stand for racial justice and for social justice. People of all background have said enough is enough, and the time is now. And I truly believe, Mahat, that um, our success lies in the hands of our great students and future leaders like you. I really believe if we listen to young people, we see um, a way forward. You know, we saw this We saw this when young people came together to say um, that we must, you know, end gun violence. We saw this, you know, people always count out young people, um, but the reality is, is that young people are doing what young people have always done and students have always been the organizers who brought change. And we're seeing that in this moment. And I'm gonna be honest, I'm geeking out a little bit because, you know, I was active in student government in high school and my my awakening was in college when I got elected to be student body president. I didn't understand until then that the voices of students have power to make change. And I love watching our students lead in this moment um, to say address racial injustice, to say, uh, you know, address, um, ways to support our students in the future. Our job is to support you all, and to to get behind you and get out of the way to let you lead. And uh, you know, I'm just grateful that I'm having this conversation with all of you because, I, as I as we talk, I'm thinking to myself, you know, you, you all are the next state superintendents and senators and governors and presidents. And I'm gonna have the opportunity to say that I got to know you. And so my job is to make every effort available to support you and for us to listen to youth. And we are we are developing a brand new, brand new activity at the State Department of Education where we create a youth advisory council where young people can give advice to myself, to the Department of Education, to the governor on all things related to education and all things related to youth. And we'd love to have the support. Of, of, you know, uh, YLI and California Forward and others, and just young people in general, and how we get voice from young people to make a difference uh, in education and a difference in our state
0: you know, exactly what you're saying that, you know, the, the future is in the hands of young people, but I don't want you to, to count out yourself uh, as part of this equation. We're, what we're gonna do is stand on your shoulders. And you you already said you're, you're doing brown great, breaking work, uh, including young people in what you're doing and, and bringing them into the Department of Education. Um, and, and, you know, I just thought I'd bring up uh, very quickly that, you know, Superintendent Thurman is one of the very few uh, 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 statewide black elected officials that has ever been in the state of California. And and that you know my success and so many other people's success, including Demi and Mehek and so many other people, are going to build on uh, some of the barriers that you broke down. And so it's really about continuing this work. Uh, we are advocates for including young people in on the policy conversations. Um, in in that recognition that uh, we are going to have to carry on uh, whatever's being started and, and shoulder some of the burden as well. And and it starts with conversations just like this. And so, yeah, I I'm coming out of this with a whole new fire as well. Um, and and I, I guess i just have a, a an, another question you you brought up this this uh young leaders advisory council i i you know this this is 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 kind of something that we we talk about quite a bit in different groups and and uh all three of us actually were involved in california forwards and so would you like to tell us a little bit more about that uh, uh when might it be off the ground anything you can give us
3: well you know i'm sitting here in this conversation thinking that You know, Michael and Demi and Mahek, maybe they can help us launch it off the ground. You know, we we did sort of start informally by introducing a series on ethnic studies that was really geared towards teaching young people about ethnic studies. And so what we did is we created a circle of students who would be in the Zoom conversation with someone who is either a teacher, a professor or an expert on ethnic studies but we opened it up on social media so that students and and, and educators and others could also follow along. You know, the reality is, is, most people who I know say they didn't really get any introduction to ethnic studies or, or even non-Western kind of, you know, focus of, of literature until they got to college. And so what we're trying to do is create a way for this to happen at the high school level. We use this kind of, you know, starting out, a structure of a youth advisory council to give students a chance to be in the Zoom with people like Dolores Huerta, you know, Dr. Shirley Weber. They just, you know, had the chance to talk to uh, somebody, Member James Ramos, who was the first Native American person to serve in the California legislature. Uh, they had the chance to learn about every one of the pillars of ethnic studies to hear about it from someone who was an expert and to give us feedback. And so our goal is to formalize this Youth Advisory Council, so that we're supporting young people, but not just asking for their ideas. We want to engage in youth development and build on the skill level of young people um, by supporting them and giving them an opportunity to give input on key issues. And so we'd love to work with you all and uh, have your input. Um, you know, I, I I relate to what you said before, Michael. You know, everything that I'm doing, I, I am conscious of the fact that i'm standing on the so- the shoulders of those who came before me and those who created opportunity for me as i mentioned you know i'm the descendant of immigrants and slaves nobody in my family ever held public office let alone even considered running for public office and you know when i look back on my own experience a shy quiet kid you know, who was just trying to get through every single day, um, it is it is because people believed in me and they told me that my life would be better than it started, that I could overcome the adversities of my own childhood and that education was a place to put my energy. And I believed them and they were absolutely right. And so I get excited any chance I get to work with students and I'm hoping that uh, we can work with uh, YLI and California Forward on establishing um, this new superintendent's youth advisory council for California.
1: Wow. Thank you. And and that's such a, like an amazing idea. And I'm so excited to see what comes of it. I think when looking at education policy and you know, Michael and I both had involvement for a student government ourselves uh, at our universities, and so um, when it comes to there's like understanding that youth voice and how it can just be left out of the conversation so so quickly on a normal basis. Uh, yet they're like the main stakeholders in education. Um, it's just great to hear that that the efforts being uh, made, and and really really grateful for your work. So thank you. Um, with that, just kind of uh, you know the idea that we're going to be building off of ideas. Mahek, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing, uh, you know, some of the other focus areas that you are hoping, um, you know, will be a shift towards like the, the focus areas for education policy that you think there needs to be a major shift towards um, in addition to ethnic studies or, you know, another idea for ethnic studies that could be a part of this rollout program.
2: Um, i think that one thing about ethnic studies is that every student is going to have a different experience with understanding their own history um, and so making it kind of customizable and understanding of that just like every student's going to have um, different ways in which they engage with different types of material and different learning techniques that work best for them ethnic studies is going to involve change in a lot of different subjects um and a lot of it's not just going to be in history it's going to be in you know expanding on um world geography, it's going to be, you know, expanding on English. And so I think understanding that it's not just one solution that's going to solve a much larger problem. Ethnic studies is also about understanding how different groups engage with modern day society. It's about understanding that certain people of color have a lower rate of going to college, um, have different experiences in the professional world, and understanding and allowing them to understand like their own history. Um, And so that's one thing I think I was thinking about this as we were talking over the summer when, The Black Lives Matter protests were in Center View on news outlets. A couple images that uh, my mom sent me from the civil rights movement involved Punjabi protesters and Punjab is a region in um, India. And so for me, like that was one of the only times I'd ever been exposed to, unlike an American outlet of Indian Americans, other than like myself and the people around me. Understanding that ethnic studies is going to impact every part of society and it's going to hopefully be reflected in everything we consume and everything we see. Like that's the end goal.
3: I think there's a misperception that if you're not from one of the four main groups that is covered in ethnic studies, you know, African American experience, Chicano Latino experience, Native American experience, and Asian American and Pacific Islanders, many think that if you're not from one of those groups, that somehow this is not for you, but that is a misperception. It does amplify those experiences, but at the end of the day, it is about what's made California a great state and the experiences of those folks to contribute to that. And so I I love how you've really just continued to be a great advocate. Quite frankly, I think we should just be listening to young people in general. I, you know, if if you use dealing with the coronavirus pandemic as an example, I think that as a nation, we need to do a better job of listening to the perspectives of young people. How do we make this work for our students in schools and the universities and the community? Um, And so I just think that at every turn, whether it's ethnic studies, how we address the pandemic, or how we're preparing our students for the jobs of tomorrow. um, We will win if we listen to the experience of our students. We will create racial justice, we will create affordability, we will end poverty, we will make it so that people can afford to live in the communities where they work. And so uh, this is an exciting time. Uh, I'm excited to work with you as our leaders and um, I'm hoping that we can find many things to work on now and in the future
0: something that I've said on this podcast before, and I'll say it again in this conversation, because it's just so relevant, is intergenerational problems require intergenerational solutions. Um, And that's, you know, kind of the baseline of why it's important to include uh, so many different perspectives into the decision making conversation. So, you know, just thinking about how we can further integrate um, the voices of young people into policy work. Um, But, You know, superintendent, exactly what you brought up. How can, how can we continue listening to the voices of young people, you know, as we're going through it? Final word, what what would you tell young people and policy professionals who are listening in in this conversation, thinking about how this topic can play out in their day-to-day lives um, and and in their decisions? What advice would you give to them and what would you tell them?
2: Um, I would say that there's a lot of power in knowing your own history. Um, And it can provide a lot of comfort and help you understand a lot of the experiences you feel in the modern world. And so maybe like getting rid of that misconception that history is the past and is separate from what we experience today. That would be like the main thing I have to say. Um, I I don't think that um, ethnic studies is divisive or it's only for certain people. I think that it is American history. These are different people's experiences who are all American. And so in order to understand American history better and in order to understand like why our country looks the way that it does today, we need to diversify the narratives that we have available to students.
3: I'd like to just say, um, first of all, thank you for having me on today in this conversation really enjoy it. You know, I'd like to just acknowledge where we are right now. Facing the coronavirus pandemic is daunting. And so, I guess the only advice I would want to give to those who hear this conversation is don't give up. And, you know, no matter what you're feeling, um, just know that there are people who care about you, reach out to them. Um, And, um, you know, I do believe that there is hope on the horizon and that we're going to find ways together to work through this pandemic. Um, I, I would say thank you to all of you who've been champions. Um, For addressing racial justice and racial equity, whether you were at a protest or you gave a speech or you did something in a student club, or even if you just made a difference in your own personal circle of friends, if you saw someone say something that might hurt someone else, you know, just saying, hey, you know, let's work together, that's a powerful thing. You don't have to give a speech. You can make a difference just in your own circle. Um, being, Being powerful and proud to just say something when you see something can make all the difference for someone else. And so my advice is really always the same. Dream the things that you wanna do and then use education to help you get to live out those dreams. Go do something that you love, you know, and you'll never work a day in your life and remember to take care of your family and your community along the way. Um, We need you, you're the leaders of today and tomorrow. It's an honor to represent you as your superintendent. And obviously anything that we can do at the California Department of Education, um, we stand by to help you in any way that we can.
0: Awesome, well, thank you both for joining us. I just wanted to say one more quick fact that I've been looking up as we've been having this conversation. at superintendent i'm sure you're aware of this fact but for our listeners uh superintendent thurman is the fourth uh black statewide elected official in the state of california and uh aside from our now vice president kamala harris um kamala harris and and tony thurman are the two uh black statewide elected officials of the 21st century um and so half of california's history of black statewide elected officials happened within the past you know 10 15 years and so thank you for all you do superintendent thurman um thank Thank you, Mehek, for joining us for this conversation and sharing so much of your perspective.
1: I just want to say first, thank you so much, Superintendent Thurman, for, for taking the time to be on the podcast. I just feel so fortunate to have someone as caring as you are uh, for this call. Just for so our listeners now, just before we got on to the call, um, the superintendent took way, like, way so, like, so much time. It was so nice and refreshing uh, to just ask all of us, like, what, how we felt about the education system. Um, and it's just really, really um I don't know, refreshing to hear. So thank you. Uh, I also want to say thank you to Mahek. It's just incredibly impressive to have like a high school senior of your caliber uh, on the podcast. And I can't wait to see all the incredible things that you do. And uh, thank you for your perspective. And um, it's been really great. So thank you.
0: This was a podcast recording of PolicyWise. We are your hosts, Michael
1: and Demi. PolicyWise is a production of Youth Leadership Institute in partnership with California Ford and their Young Leaders Advisory Council. Jared Amonos produced this episode.
0: If you want to find more great youth content, check out YLI.org and be sure to subscribe to PolicyWise on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It really helps.
1: To discuss this episode, engage with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PolicyWisePod and hashtag your discussion with hashtag PolicyWise.
0: See you next time for more youth voice and policy discussion
3: on PolicyWise.